It must have been five, maybe ten years ago, I don't know, that I saw a film called The Nativity Story. Don't know if you saw that, but the impact of that film for me was something like, on the other end of his life, the uh, passion of the Christ was at the end of his life. There's something about films, of course, they, they interpret like books do when they go back and look at the past, and uh, sometimes they interpret accurately, sometimes they don't, but whatever happens, films have a way of, of uh, interpreting and presenting in such a way that they can sometimes be much more telling in our memory than, uh, than what we read. Because what we've had is verbal until that point is now, or what we've had is audible until that time verbal is, is now visual, and we remember what we see. And so I remember as clear as day some of the scenes from that uh, nativity story. As with the Passion of the Christ, I was most impressed and most shocked, to be honest with you, when I saw the starkness of life in the first century into which he was born, Mary gave birth to Jesus. I was impressed that the God of heaven, and that's what I think happened, the God of heaven had stepped down into the harshness of life and didn't seem to be intimidated by it. He did it willingly. He knew what was going to happen. He, he was well aware of what it was going to be like for him to be upon the face of the earth, but he did it anyway because he had a mission and he came for that purpose when he came to earth. Some of the details from that uh, film were especially abrupt as I was exposed to the brutalities of the first century. I had forgotten how people must have talked about Mary when she began to, to show, condemning glances at her. You can imagine what it was like for people in a small town, and it was a small town, where she came from and where she went to. And they would look at her and they would say to each other behind her back, she's been up to no good. And she'd have to live with that and deal with it without speaking about it. Likewise, my default picture of Bethlehem, the place where the baby was born, <laughs> was something like what you'd see on most Christmas cards. In fact, honestly, kind of like Bermuda. You know the stucco houses, the white, yellow, green, beautiful, a nice, quiet streets? That's the picture I had of Bethlehem. I don't know, maybe you do as well. But boy, that's not the picture you get when you look at the movie. And I know from my studies that the movie is more accurate than my, my postcard pictures that I had treasured for so long, and still in some sense I suppose I do even now. They were not stucco houses in the, in the uh, village of Bethlehem. Very few people lived there, but it was swelled in uh, terms of numbers because so many people had to come to register to pay their taxes, to take the census, to, so that, that Rome could get their, their dollars. And that was the only way they could get it done, so they brought them together into their ancestral homes. When I looked at the film and I began to see this reflects the truth of the matter, what I saw were dark, dingy huts, not much more, made out of mud bricks, not not stucco, not, not painted, but very dark and very dismal and honestly, almost depressive. Hallmark dreams had to be wiped away. And those quiet winding lanes where I <laughs> had before this time thought that surely that's where they came into those quiet lanes. No, they didn't turn out to be that. They turned out to be muddy lanes, muddy roads, muddy pathways, where if you didn't get out of the way quickly, the Roman soldiers would run you down, and there was no recourse for that. That's where he came, into that kind of a world. In fact, it was the naked exposure to brutality that bothered me the most. I, like you, live in a green zone. 
I live in Basking Ridge. I feel like if something goes wrong, I can do something about it. I mean, I can call 911 if nothing else. Or I can stop and see the mayor. I don't know his name now, but he'd see me because I'm a resident. And surely he'd fix it. He'd take care of it. Not so in first century Bethlehem. Not so with the Jews who lived under the emperor's sword and wanted in the worst way that it be removed. I remember a scene in the film where a man couldn't pay his taxes. And there was really no hope that he'd be able to pay them in the immediate future. So they took his daughter. They just took her. There was nothing he could do about it. It brought me back to John Grisham's book, A Time to Kill. Maybe you've read that, I don't know. But I remember reading it. <laughs> and I remember cheering when the star of that book and later a film took vengeance on the men down south who brutalized his daughter. And I cheered. And it gave me some sense of how much the Jews must have laid awake at night waiting for a king who would take vengeance. And then the trek to Bethlehem. Exposure to the weather. I was exhausted by the absence of conveniences for the travelers as they went on day after day and night after night. The difficulty of the journey. The intrusion of thieves or Roman soldiers at any time from which they couldn't protect themselves in either category. The soldiers were not there to protect them. They were there to take advantage of anybody they could, as were the thieves. And then I recalled that Jesus came intentionally into the harshness of life. I don't like harshness. If you do, you're very unusual. I don't. I don't know, a few years ago, my, my uh, brother-in-law had tickets to the Army game against Rutgers up at West Point. And I was really so excited about going. I never go to a ball game like that. I, I'd love to go more often, but I just never have an opportunity, or maybe, maybe I never take opportunity, I don't know. But we were going up to West Point, and there were four of us, and we drove up there, and I was really excited about it until I read the weather report. Cold, rainy. I figured, how cold could it be? How rainy? It was cold, and it was rainy. And those fools played anyway, which says something even worse about those of us who sat there and watched them play in the cold and the rain. We left at halftime. Yeah. We don't like harshness. I don't like harshness. I don't like the circumstances into which Jesus came, but Jesus came intentionally into those circumstances. In fact, the Bible says through the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians that Jesus emptied himself. That's the translation of a word that's used there, and so we use that idea from that passage. And, and I read it to you tonight from the, the Living Bible because I think it expands it to a place where we can really get a hold of it, the, or the message paraphrase. Listen to what he says. He had equal status. He's talking about the Lord Jesus. But he says he had equal status with God but didn't think of himself, so much of himself, that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, 
obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. That's why I say, he came into the harshness. And he came into the harshness knowing that at the end of his life, he would be brutalized himself. And he would stand before the judgment throne of God so that those who place their faith and their trust in him wouldn't have to themselves stand before the judgment throne of God, which they deserved to be, but they wouldn't because he stood there in their place. My friend, I can't imagine why you would want to hold back and say no to the king of kings who came into that kind of darkness and that kind of harshness to give his life for you. But that's what he did. He came into the harshness so that you and I might have life and pardon and eternity because he purchased it for us. I tell you, if you come to Christ and you keep your eye on him, then you will not have to worry about what comes next in eternity. You will not have to worry about standing before the judge because Jesus has stood before the judge for you. You will not have to worry about being lonely in this life when the tough times come and the difficulties come, as well as the grand times and the wonderful times, because he will be with you. He says he is the good shepherd. He will be with you. And you don't have to worry that your life is going to end short or that you don't have a purpose for life. You will have more purpose for life if you keep your eye on the Savior who gave his life for you than you can imagine having as we sit here tonight. It is receiving Christ. It is trusting in him for his pardon and his forgiveness and his life and then walking with your eye fastened on the Son of God, the one who came and gave his life for you and for me. It happens in a moment of time, but it takes a lifetime to live it out. The moment of time is when you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ and receive his forgiveness. Something like this, Lord Jesus, I know that you came into the harshness and you gave your life for me. You lived it, you gave it for me. I now receive you for your pardon and your life that I might walk with you for the rest of my life. Something like those words, if you mean it, then the door is open, he says, I'll come in. So won't you say yes to him today? If you've done that already and you're finding that, wow, I just haven't kept my eye on him, well, this is the best time I can think of to return, recognize the price that he paid for you. Let's pray together and you can talk to him even as I pray. Father God, thank you that, that we are called to, to, to become your children and, and a child came, a, a baby came. And it gives us such a rich picture of of the way in which you want us, Lord, to receive that same child, that same baby, grown to be a man, grown to be the one who was sacrificed in our place. And so even now, Lord, as we're quiet before you in these moments, there will be some who are saying, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I have no other answer for life or for eternity but the answer that you alone can give. And so I receive you now, Lord. Come into my life, forgive me, cleanse me, give me new life. And others, Lord, I trust are saying, oh God, I, I think I've been wasting time. I've been marking time. I haven't been moving forward. I haven't kept my eye on you. And I'm going to return to that commitment right now in these moments. It may have happened in childhood. It may have happened as an adult. But right now, Lord, I'm returning my focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ to walk with him. So Father God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you release us tonight that we might enter into a new period of life enriched by your goodness and your grace. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.